to the Salted Carmel podcast from Our Lady of Mount Carmel Parish, where we talk about individual faith stories. I'm Jody Curtis, a parishioner, and with me is my ever-clever co-host, David Cook, the stewardship director at our parish. Our guest today is Elliot Bedford. Elliot, thanks so much for joining us today. And can you tell us a bit about yourself and your connection to the parish? Sure. So uh, I am Elliot Bedford. My wife is Teresa. We have three lovely children who are all in, uh, or I guess they'll be planning to go to Our Lady Mount Carmel School whenever that opens back up um, due to COVID. But um, seven-year-old Emma, five-year-old Ava, three or two-year-old Luke, and one on the way in September. So we are uh, residents of uh, Mount Carmel for six years now. Uh, I, I moved here in 2014. Um, to take my job with Ascension St. Vincent. And so we've been up here in Westfield ever since uh, that and just have really gotten involved with the parish a lot because of uh, increasingly because of the kids at school. But um, it's definitely home and we love it. Well, you're already a little Our Lady of Mount Carmel famous just because you did that talk earlier this year, right? <laughs> yeah, that was, now, that was fun. So we got a celebrity on the podcast. Is what <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> you, Father Richard, it's, we're, we're trying to gain some traction. So, Okay, so you've told us a little bit about your family. You've told us a little bit about how you got here. But tell us about Rewind a whole lot. Rewind yeah. and go back to your life growing up. What was your faith journey like? When did you truly discover God? So I, uh, up till about age of seven, my family life did not involve church that much. And I really don't remember that much before uh, seven years old. But I know that in talking with my dad, he had been on a faith journey for some time, uh, basically since I'd been born. And it was at, when I was seven years old, he came into the church and I got baptized. Um, so did my younger sister at that time. My mom kind of came back to the faith there formally. So ever since seven years old, uh, we were able to, you know, go to church, uh, go to mass um, regularly on Sundays. And my parents very got very much got involved in church, uh, doing RCIA and things like that. And uh, my mom did it a, like a pregnancy resource center type uh, initiative. So very much about putting faith into action. And so that's kind of always been my background around uh, just being involved in in faith life, but it never really made it mine. You know, I never fell away from the church or anything like that, but I wouldn't say I was like as actively engaged as I am now until after high school, I went to a community college and just kind of got sick with the secular culture there and said, I need some place where I can kind of, my thought can grow and I can really learn and develop. So I said, I'm going to go to a Catholic school. So I ended up, um, you know, taking that step down the the, um, the, the road, but uh, that's really where it started to take off in terms of me getting deeper into my faith and making it a meaningful part of my life. And then did you have one concrete moment in college or thereafter, or was it just a continual deepening of your faith? Well, there was, you know, like touchstone events, I would say, like walking down a path. Um, and one of them was being in philosophy class and not being able to talk about God as a philosophical concept, really kind of like, where's the integrity about that, right? And for me, the conversation at home had always been free-flowing about God. It's like, we're going to be able to talk about that um, as just a you know matter of fact. So then I w ended up um, trying to go to Franciscan University in Steubenville. I was all set to go there. 
And I got in this car wreck coming home, working from Best Buy, working at Best Buy up in West Michigan. And I got a car wreck out in, you know, one of these country roads. And um, it was definitely an experience where I had kind of like felt guardian angel kind of push me and pull me so that I didn't get da- in, harmed or anything like that, which was fascinating. Um, sticks with me to this day. But then after that, I was like, okay, you know, the spiritual world, world is, is very real and very impactful, and I need to learn and grow in this. Um, so that was another one. And then I, I, had, I didn't do any dating in high school. Um, not that I didn't want to, but I was just not, you know, uh, that wasn't my game. I was making friends and playing football. And so when I got to Franciscan, my, in my philosophy class, there was this good-looking girl who I sat next to. She played soccer, and she took notes, and I didn't. And I, and I was like, all right, I'm going to hang out with her. So, so, and then she ended up being my wife. That all worked out. But that was another point where she kind of called me on the carpet and said, look, you know, you have to be better if you want to be with me. You have to, you know, take notes. You have to try. You have to. And so that galvanized me. You know, you have to understand and appreciate your faith. In a way that's almost more, that makes your wife more attractive rather than, you oh, know. Oh, yeah. She just, made me be a man. Exactly. I'm not saying I'm there, but she's the <laughs> Closer to it. Like, Follow me out. Exactly. Message for all you ladies out there. Make your potential spouses men. Right. <laughs> right. Don't be afraid to, yeah. Right. Basically speak the truth. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. So now you want to tell us a little bit about what you do? So uh, again, that's in part largely to Teresa. She kind of pushed me as I was doing philosophy into the realm of ethics. And because that's where I got a lot of energy from, I really love the complex situations that you're dealing with and trying to figure out how do you behave well and become a good person despite all that adversity. And so that um, through God's you know, amazing way to kind of wind you down a path you never anticipated. I ended up finding this career called healthcare ethics, Catholic healthcare ethics, where basically I get to use my background in theology and philosophy to help guide our health system, Ascension St. Vincent, uh, in making, you know, really complex decisions in light of good moral principles from the Catholic Church's perspective. So business decisions, clinical case decisions, you know, individual patients, everything that the church is teaching can come uh, and bring to bear on how do we live our faith authentically. That's what I get to do on a day-to-day basis. So it's really, really fun. It's really a great blessing. And so then um, it can actually really have an impact on people's lives too. Can you give us an example of something you might be dealing with on a regular basis? So the biggest issues that I face are usually around end of life, and it is usually a scenario where um, you have a family who maybe they haven't really discussed what mom or dad um, would want in terms of the the types of care that they would want, how comfortable they would want to be, where they would want to spend their final days, and you end up with conflict among the family about who's making the right decisions, what does mom and dad want. And it typically goes in the fashion of someone's always saying we should keep going regardless of whether it's effective. And then somebody else is typically saying, I don't think we should be doing this to mom um, because, you know, for instance, uh, 
the, the feeding tube that she has is getting infected or the breathing machine that she has is, is not actually curing the cancer that she has, right? So you have this conflict situation and then you're able to bring the church's teaching in and say, well, first and foremost, the church says that, yes, we're to respect and, and preserve life, but not at all costs, right? So there's a balance to be able to, to come into this situation. And then you try and help mediate that situation based on church teaching, people's where they're at in terms of processing things. So I would say those end-of-life scenarios um, are, are definitely the biggest in terms of volume that we see by far. Uh, and you, the National Catholic Bioethics Center says the same thing. And a lot of it just is, uh, I'll just say people don't know the details of the church's teaching. So it's not a to blame anybody. It's more of just really digging into what the church teaches it affords you a really great sense of comfort because it's very practical. It's not overly rigorous or overus, overly lax, but it's all about helping you get to heaven. Do you work mainly with the, the patients or with the healthcare professionals? So my, I would say my main audience is healthcare professionals. So I don't really like to interject myself into the patient um, clinician relationship just because it usually Patients are already going through a lot. They don't need another name and face right, to deal with. And who are you and what do you do? And why is it so complex? But I usually work with the clinicians to help them kind of understand, appreciate uh, where the patients are coming from, what the church teaches on how to, on any given situation. So it's a lot of training and preparation and education for the healthcare provider. And I got to tell you, it's, it's fun beyond all get out because the, um, yeah, while the situations we may face are really bad, there are good people who just want to do the right thing and are really, really committed to caring for people as best they can. And so when you're dealing with somebody like that, it's more about walking alongside them and guiding them instead of it's never telling them what to do. And Elliot, how have you, I mean, you talked a bit about your journey with your wife and now she helped you raise your game and your faith, but overall, how have you changed from your earlier years until now in your life in Christ? Well, I think that um, it's it's been a pretty marked change for me. Maybe it's just kind of like a, you know, a, the actual development of what I was, but, you know, going through high school and I, I was never, um, I'll say a stickler for grades. Um, I barely got out of high school. I had friends. We hung out. We played video games. We played. Um, I played football, and that was it, right? Um, so, but again, that was just being immature. And so then I met Teresa. She um, really challenged me to be a man. I'm still working on that, obviously. But it's uh, something that then all of a sudden I got into the intellectual and the spiritual life that. You know, I could never have foreseen it, but it's actually, I look back and I say, am I more, who am I? Am I that person back in high school or am I this person now? And it's kind of like, well, you're all of that, but, you know, you, now you see how it's better integrated, right? So you're, you're able to appreciate friendship in a proportionate and appropriate way versus it be the end all be all. And you're able to appropriately appreciate the intellectual life but you don't just get lost in books all the time, right? So I think that that's kind of the, the getting rounded out piece that's really, really struck me. How much would you attribute that integrated life to like growing in your faith or to just getting older? 
Oh, I don't think that um, anything that I kind of understand about myself could be removed from the lens of the faith. You know, when you say, look, God, you led me to this place. You led me through this path, uh, for instance, through school, where I got rejected when I was trying to go to graduate school, and, and I thought my career was at an end. And it turns out it was actually the perfect pivot move because the class that I would have got into at St. Louis University then all flamed out. They were a terrible class. And I would not have got my position with Ascension Health had that not happened. Now, in the moment, there's no way I could have ever seen it. Right? I was just disappointed. But it kept me at Franciscan for a year. I did extra training. I was able to really get my um, school game perfected such that I could just rip through the, the PhD program. And it's only because of God. Right, only because of God doing that, and and as you said, David, it was, I just said yes. I didn't say, God, here's my plan, here's what I want, I think I want, but He ultimately said, no, here, look, this is how it's going to work out, and I've been on that journey ever since. And so everything that I have here, in Indiana, how I call it, Carmel, my or Westfield, my home now. It's all through his lens and his, uh, so continually I'm trying to say, let me be able to say yes to you more, Lord. Just because obviously everything that I have is given to me. Elliot, who's your biggest faith influencer? I'd put it, um, you know, depending on uh, what perspective, but faith, faith from um, learning it from the home. My parents were huge influencers there, still continue to be very wise advice and kind of guidance and support along the way. And then I would say my wife is definitely my catalyst and kind of like, I'd say going through high school, I didn't have motivation. But then when I found her, I found motivation and that still continues to this day. So um, she is the one that drives me uh, to continue to deepen, deepen my faith and bring it into our family and, you know, make it meaningful in our kids' lives. Uh, what would you say to someone who's still stuck in the noise of the, the secular culture, you know, kind of how you were at community college? What would you say to them to try to help wake them up or to intellectually get them into their faith? Hmm, that's a great question. I think that um, it wasn't something so simple as kind of like I heard a voice coming to me from the clouds, but it was more of a Kind of, I, tr I had to trust my instincts and say that doesn't seem it doesn't fit right with me. If you're saying philosophy, for instance, is this pursuit of the truth, but suddenly there's a subject that we can't talk about, that doesn't mesh up, right? And that just grates on your uh, intellect and your soul. Or if you're feeling those tensions somewhere in you know your existence, you're saying something doesn't sit right here. It's beyond kind of rational expression. Tap into that or, or at least re start reflecting on it. I think that's the biggest piece that I'd go back to is taking the time to be self-reflective, right? To, to understand, okay, wait, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to me? You know, in groanings, right? But uh, I think that, that that piece, listening to yourself, taking the time to slow down and be able to, to reflect, and then having somebody that you trust. Like for me, at that early stage, it was my parents. Now it's definitely my wife, where you just say, I need to process something that's going on in my life, and you're going to be the voice of God to me here. 
again, I don't hear them out of the clouds, but I hear them through you. So I would say those two points. Listening to your own internal promptings, reflect on it, and then talk it out with a trusted somebody who has your best interest at heart. The, the second random question is being a healthcare ethicist. Did I say that right? I don't you got it. Okay, perfect. Uh, what do you foresee being like the biggest obstacle for future like advances? Being like, advances yeah. what? Just morality in general as we get farther in this technological age. Uh, there's a lot of things that would contribute to barriers, but I think that what's interesting when you look at the church's teaching is that the principles never really change. All that happens is different contexts in which you apply them. So you're going to be dealing with life and death, right? That's going to always be, but what that looks like, you know, a hundred years ago, we didn't have the same ICUs that we do now, right? So all of a sudden we're presented with new questions around ventilators and feeding tubes and you know, brain death and all this kind of stuff that wasn't even feasible. Or if you go to a less developed country, it's still not the same questions. The technological progress thing, I don't put too much, spend too much time and energy on that so much as you got to know the core principles uh, and the way that the church teaches. I think that um, one of the things that I think is concerning is more I'll say kind of like a learning environment and political discourse, if you will. So the whole idea where the internet allows you to be able to just stay in an echo chamber and just read, for instance, the news feeds that you like versus actually sitting down and hearing people's differing perspectives. There's so much value in that latter one of just listening to people, understanding where they're coming from, being able to dialogue with them, um, that if you don't have that, all of a sudden we're not going to be able to come to mutual decisions about how to care best for this patient because we can't even talk to each other. So um, I think that that's probably the biggest concern that I have is the, the inability to relate to one another so that we can problem solve. That's, that's a huge concern um, for, especially for youth coming up. So, Elliot, you know, we called this the salted caramel because we want people to be thinking about the salt of the earth and also asking people, how do you stay salty in your faith? So what are you doing right now to stay salty? So my favorite thing to do on that is uh, recently here, Exodus 90 is this program that has been run at the parish. Jonathan Titus has kind of been the lead there, but um, I went through it with a group of uh, guys led by Joe Wrights, and it was just the best experience um, in terms of fraternity and prayer and um, asceticism, just really challenged you. Like I, I said, this was not something that uh, I had ever in my life, but it combined all those pieces that I talked about. So high school, I had that fraternity of the football team and we were struggling, you know, towards an end goal of winning games. Uh, but it was just kind of with guys that were at my high school that I didn't have necessarily a deeper connection to. Right. Um, and I had been missing that ever since I'd been focusing on the prayer life through, through college. Uh, asceticism was never something big for me. But then when you got into Exodus 90, it hit every single, you know, element that the male soul desires. And it just really, really worked. And so uh, the guys that I'm with, 
They are all men who are striving to be friends in virtue, who are you know family men to their core, who want to improve their life and and, uh, and love of Jesus. And boy, if it is not inspiring. Um, so I would highly recommend that program to any guy out there who's really looking to get involved in the parish, deepen their faith, um, challenge themselves in a way that it's hard, quite frankly. Well, we usually like to do a call to action at this point, but I think you kind of already hit it, your call to action with how would you give advice to get out of the static of the secular world? And that was to take time to reflect and then have someone you trust to process through all your problems in this faith journey with you. Is that correct? That's exactly it. Perfect. So this week, you guys have to at least take 10 minutes to self-reflect on your life and where the Lord is taking you and where he wants to take you. Let's end with a prayer. God, our Father, I pray that through the Holy Spirit, I might hear the call of the new evangelization to deepen my faith, grow in confidence to proclaim the gospel and boldly witness to the saving grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening today. And stay salty.